This episode of the Business Samurai Podcast is brought to you by Lamar Marie Popcorn. You can get now one bag and get a second bag for half off with the code BARKER at checkout. So if you like your snacks a little sweet, a little salty, a little mixture of both, go check out LamarMarie.com and all of the flavors that they have for your next snacking sensation. That is LamarMarie.com with code BARKER at checkout for buy one, get one, half off. What's up, everybody? My name is John Barker. Thanks for attending the Attract Clients Now Summit. My presentation is going to be slightly different than the others. Uh, most everyone else has been focusing on attracting new clients to your business through branding, innovation, and social media marketing techniques. Well, I'm talking about today keeping the clients that you have, making sure that when a disaster strikes, as we are in now, that your business is resilient enough overcome those obstacles, keep the clients that you have satisfied, and instill trust in your employees that you're gonna to continue to march forward as much as possible. Granted, what's happening now is unprecedented in our lifetimes, and there is really no way to prepare for something of this magnitude. It would be impossible to think that you're gonna have cash reserves for months and months and months and months on end to just keep paying yourself and your employees if you're a a business that requires large group gatherings and to think that that will, uh, you know, that's just something that you can't plan for that, I don't believe. But what I'm talking about is as we do get through this and we do recover, that there is some lessons learned that everybody should document and put into place, but also then go, all right, we just experienced something that hasn't happened in a hundred years. What other things within my business are a risk that are more likely to happen than something that happens every 100 years? And how will that negatively affect me? And what do I need to put in place from a planning perspective to be proactive, not reactive, but be proactive to ensure that I can get back up to speed as much as possible? And none of the business resiliency or business continuity planning, which is the, the normal term, is going to be, you know, 100%. Uh, it may be you're running in a degraded state, but you're running. You're not stopped in the tracks and you're not figuring this out in the moment. But do you have put some forethought into how do I keep my business running if something happens? So that's what my presentation is going to be about. And I hope it's something that as we're living through this now, I believe this is the fourth or fifth week of lockdown, at least here in Virginia that you you take this to heart and go, well, hopefully something like this to this magnitude doesn't happen again. Something will happen. It may be on a much, much smaller scale, but something will happen and you are putting some forethought into what that is going to be. So let's jump into the presentation. Um, if my head is blocking the screen, uh, please follow along. The, the slides have went out ahead of time. There's not that many of them. 
the slides have went around uh, went out ahead of time and you can follow along or look at them when I when I get done in case I'm blocking something. So what we're going to go through is what is uh, business continuity plan and why it's important, the responsibilities, what is a business impact analysis, uh, risk management strategy development, and the plan development and maintenance. So business continuity planning is, is, is going to give you purposeful action when a disaster or negative event happens to your organization that you need to kind of recover from. It's taking a piece of it down. It's very important because if you have something that you can go pull out of the drawer and says, hey, we, we've kind of thought about this. We knew that this was likelihood to being a negative event in our business, and we've got some steps to follow. That is going to put a whole lot of trust, not only in your employees, but also your clients, that you're going to be able to continue to operate. Everybody is going to get the service and level of service that they need um, while you go through your recovery protocols for whatever that event happens to be. And obviously, proactive is always better than being reactive for a multitude of, of reasons, uh, not and stress level is is part of that. Sitting there going, I you know I've not put any thought into any sort of issues that may come up on my business, and then trying to figure that in the moment, and you got clients breathing down your neck, employees running around doing who knows what, that just compounds that stress. But saying, hey, whoa, 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 hold on a second, we've got a plan, let's execute the plan. We thought about this. That's why it's always better to be proactive. Recovery is faster, and typically speaking, it's going to be cheaper as well. Um, and, and it's going to be cheaper because it's going to be faster. Your you know, time is money. So if you can shorten down the window of what the recovery time is going to be, depending on what the disaster event was to your business, it's going to be cheaper. So spending some time creating these documents is critical for any business. Let me give an example real quick before I forget. One of the things that I've noticed is uh, the education system. You've got a traditional classroom environment, you know, elementary, middle, high school. Uh, and one of the things that I've kind of equated the coronavirus situation to is almost as if the buildings have burned down, for instance. Um, it's the best way I can say it. Uh, it's the best analogy that I've come up with with everything that's been going on. So you and I've got a firsthand look. I know a lots of people that are administrators as well as teachers. So I've gotten to see a little bit first, a lot firsthand of what's been happening. And you always remember in school, you, you had your fire drills. They were random. Everybody gets up, you go outside, teacher did a head count. Everybody is there. And I don't know how often it happens. Not something I see in the news that an entire school burns down. But let's say, for instance, there's a, a hypothetical situation. There's a kitchen fire in the cafeteria. It spreads. Everybody evacuates. Everybody is safe. But the building does burn down. What are you going to do with those students in that situation? And I don't know that I have not seen too much now that indicates that some of the school systems have well, that far ahead. Yes, they've done the first step. Human life is always number one, and you're going to see that repeated throughout this, uh, the slide presentation here. But once you've got through step one, everybody is physically safe. Now, how do you start getting back up in operations? And what we're seeing now is a very reactive 
measure in trying to take what has been a traditional classroom environment learning methodology and sticking it in at least around this area google classroom i'm sure there's you know some others and, and online universities have been doing this for a long time but the public education system is still built on the traditional whiteboard blackboard 30 kids in, a, in, in seats uh, learning methodology and if a building burned down uh, and just say one what were those students going to do? I mean, you've got a, you've got uh, teachers and and students that may be a thousand people. You, it's unlikely you're going to be able to fit them into other places for multitude of reasons. So what's going to happen with them? And that's where <clears throat> some forethought are put into. Hey, we can turn on relatively easily the online learning piece of this. That would be a framework for this particular situation with the coronavirus. That if they had a plan for if they building burned down and how we're going to continue to educate those students that maybe they could have scaled that up and that's what i'm talking about as far as it's being uh they're having a reactive approach to what's going on from what i've seen and definitely the first few days it was just there was all this action it was movement and i was not just seeing this in the school system but lots of people that i was talking to way too many webinars way too many virtual meetings and there was action for the sake of action. People wanted to feel like they were doing something, but there just didn't seem to be purpose behind it. It was energy for the sake of energy. And I just, that's not something that I personally believe in. I think that if you're going to be able to recover from an event, that the action that you take needs to have a purpose to it. There needs to be a goal. There needs to be an objective, a mission, however you want to describe it. There needs to be some purpose behind what you're doing other than to sit there at the end of the day go well, i did these 10 things but guess what it doesn't matter because tomorrow all those 10 things you did you got to redo it again because we haven't thought about this so that's kind of what i want to put you into a proactive way of thinking and in this situation documenting lessons learned because as we've already been several weeks into this by the time you you're able to view this presentation I'm sure there's things that you have put into place that have worked. There's things you put into place that didn't work. You need to start writing that down. When it comes to who sets the tone, who sets the responsibilities, of course, this is going to come from senior management. There may be some regulatory concerns, depending on what industry you're in, that may make them legally responsible, but they have to set the tone. They have to there can't be two sets of rules where staff does this and senior managers, owners do something that circumvents the rules. I see that in other things. Definitely not in this sort of situation. Everybody needs to be focused with the singular objective that everybody is, is going towards. And this goes beyond just the, uh, you know, the X's and O's of the playbook, but also of your, your kind of the social cues and your demeanor. If you're an owner and you got employees, you've got a large client base, you need to keep a calm, steady tone when things go wrong. Your staff will feed off of that energy and they'll start emulating that. This is something that I've seen as well firsthand quite a few times. If when things don't quite go right and you start as a leader, start getting all um, twitchy, everybody else does too. The progress that you need will slow down. You're not going to get to where you need to go as fast as you need to go. The recovery will not go as fast. But if you can sit there at a minimum and keep a calm tone, everybody else on the team will keep that calm tone. And that will definitely accelerate your ability to get out of the situation, whatever it may be. I kid you not. Calm and steady. Calm and steady. 
It saves your energy, less of a mental drain. But the but senior management ultimately is responsible for what happens. And just again, I'll go back. There could be regulatory concerns depending on what you're doing. You also need to ensure when you're doing this, while the, the major focus is going to be internally to your organization, obviously you need to keep in your supply chain as well. So while you also have are, are dealing with your own business continuity, your business resiliency plan, if you are dependent on some key service providers to help you offer your services, to help you offer your products as part of your supply chain, you need to know that they are, have been thinking about the same thing. Because you could have all the planning in place, but if you are, are, uh, your service depends on a particular widget, for instance, you need to ensure that that is not going to be interrupted, which may mean you find an alternative source that you may have to turn on temporarily if they experience an issue, or you need to talk to them to ensure that if they experience an issue, they have an alternative that they can handle it for you that know you're covered. So you need to start thinking outside of you start with the inside and then go to your next level, which would be your service providers as well, to ensure that they have the proper planning in place so they can't negatively affect you if they have an issue. So what all goes into kind of the business continuity, the business resiliency planning? And the first step is going to be your business impact analysis. You're going to want to identify your critical business functions and document it all down. You want to figure out what it all entails, if something went wrong, how long would it take to get that back up and running again to its fully functioning state. Uh, within each business function or business vertical, if you've got different revenue streams, uh, you know who all is going to be affected, and what type of communication strategy do you need to put in place. Because I think we've seen, particularly with some of the data breaches, some of the places, one, they didn't know they had it because they just didn't have the resources in place to identify that they had had a breach or a data leak or something to that effect. But they didn't tell anybody for, in some cases, months, if not a year later, that these things kind of come out of the woodwork. And that erodes trust when that happens, particularly if it's hidden. So you want to have a good communication plan in place to know exactly who you need to go talk to when the time arises. And once you've kind of identified all of the, your business verticals, your functional, you know, your back-end office, what are the critical things that, at a minimum, if we had the building burned down or, um, you know, a data center goes out, you know, what is minimally required to get us functioning to 60%, 70%, 80%, whatever it is to get your core business up and running again, even in, or in a degraded, slower state, but you are producing, uh, you need to identify what those events are going to be. What is, and what is the likelihood of those events are going to be? So I'm going back to the easy ones because this, I think, is things that we can all relate to versus some more complicated ones. But again, you know, uh, intrusion in the office and somebody goes in and breaks and steals all the computers, you know, fire, I mentioned that repeatedly, um, flooding, uh, key staff, you know, something tragic happens to a key staff member, you know, and then uh, data breaches, uh, equipment failures, and then start ranking these. What is the likelihood they're going to disrupt the business? How often, how many times, you know, is are we living through like the, the virus, a once in a hundred year, uh, once in a thousand year event, or is 
a data breach, for instance, something you got to fight every single day, every single minute that there, there is something likely to happen with that. So then you can start identifying your priorities and your appetite for your risk. And essentially is your appetite for risk is how much are you willing not to invest in risk mitigation and go, ah, the chances of this happening are pretty small. So I don't want to spend a lot of money on, on doing that. And, and that is, you know, some of that's a personal decision. Some of that's a financial decision. You know, you're going to have to figure out for your business, what is the likelihood of that? Um, and that's a, that's a question for you. There are formulas for that. Let me show you uh, something real quick. If you go to my website, barkerleadership.com, and go to services risk calculator. Again, this is, you know, your accountant, whoever helps you with finance will be able to help you drill this down. But you can sit there and start putting some costs and what it costs for your business to go down and how much you need to spend on uh, potential mitigation. So this calculator is made for primarily for data recovery. So you can sit there and say, how many servers do you have? How much of production time, etc." But if you, even if you skip all of this on the screen here and go down to your downtime and recovery cost, you can sit there and put in how many employees you have, how much revenue they generate, how, how much uh, what their hourly rage is, and how much they use some of those systems to come up with a, it's going to be a ballpark number, but you can start coming up with, you know, cost analysis on how much it would take to recover from certain events. So for instance, whatever this, you know, the numbers that were kind of defaulted in here says that uh, my recovery cost is $83,000. You already know that if you've identified a certain risk, and to mitigate that risk costs 10 grand, but it's going to cost you 83 to go down. It makes sense to spend the $10,000. If something is going to affect your business from a financial standpoint, and it's only going to cost you $83,000, but to mitigate that risk is going to cost you $200,000. Well, that doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, exception would be as if, oh, well, this is something that can happen, you know, every other month. You know, it depends on the frequency of whatever it is. So this calculator is here for you. Feel free to go play with this. There's no registration. You don't have to give an email. It's just on the website. I think this is a, a, a pretty cool tool. Um, I use it frequently with my strategic clients when I need to go in there. I don't necessarily use the data points um, for just strictly data recovery because I'm looking at holistically of the business. But I do use this in particular to go, all right, you've got, you know, you've got 25 employees. They generate this much revenue. They cost me this much as an average to give a ballpark number when we're trying to do some cost justification in a business case. So please go check this out. I think this is a, a, a great utility. So as I mentioned, so as I mentioned you started to build your, your business Bible with a business impact analysis. You've identified your business critical functions, uh, crit your business's critical functions, who it's infected, your communication strategy, you know the types of events that can disrupt your business, which can be obviously numerous, and how frequent or likely that they are going to happen. Then you figure out what is your appetite for particular types of risk. You'll put these in a in a priority order. 
And that, again, it could be the one that costs you the most amount of money, the thing that may happen the most frequent. Again, this is going to be your business case. Most of the time, the dollar will speak um, as far as your priority level. So once you've kind of identified all of these things, it's time to start developing the plan. And you need to have a detailed enough plan that you can actually do some, uh, you know, be able to recover from certain ones. So you may have a strategy recovery plan for each one of the risks. And this is obviously going to be scalable. The larger your organization, the more functional roles you have, the more additional lines of revenue you have, the larger the plan will be. If you are a single uh, a restaurant, you may have very minimal, you know, a much smaller one if it's a family-owned restaurant, for instance, that revolves around disruption of, you know, food. You know, if you, your suppliers of, you know, your food, your raw material can't get there, then it's hard to run a restaurant. Kitchen fire. Keep coming back to fire. Fire seems to be the thing I keep coming back to. Just keeps popping in my head because I've equated the, again, I, I've equated the, the, the coronavirus is if ever all of the office buildings on the world have, have burned down and we all have to go from home now. Uh, but, you know, those are the types of things. So you're going to have a much smaller plan, but you need to have that. And again, human life comes first. The plan also needs to clearly identify the roles, responsibilities, and skill sets needed to, to take to recover. Again, a, a smaller 10-person shop, it may come down to just a couple of you to get things back up and running again. If you're work, working for a Fortune 500 company, you probably have a risk management team in place to execute a risk management strategy and have, have done some of the exercises with the key people to be able to recover from. Communication is key. Between communicating uh, timely and appropriately. I'm going to say something that sometimes can be, I think, can be controversial because we, we seem to be, particularly now, in a webinar meeting overkill environment, in my opinion, that you can over-communicate. What I mean by that is having super long meetings that deviate from no set agenda where at any given time, the talking points you're talking about for 15 or 20 minutes are only applicable to 10 or 15 percent of the people in the audience and then it rolls through there. Um, I think there it it's better to have targeted communication and and not have to necessarily you may have a very brief overview to keep everybody on the same page, but more detailed lines of communication to the to the appropriate roles and responsibilities in there. Because if not, you're just gonna burn more time in having sprawling two-hour meetings that everybody's in, that you're burning all their labor time and the recovery time, and then you're doing that every other day. Uh, a good example of something that keeps things quick is like an Agile Scrum methodology. They have daily stand-up meetings that are 15 to 20 minutes. They're very, very limited into um, what is to be accomplished during that day. And that, to me, is an appropriate way to handle some of these things where you have you know, you as a leader may have rolling meetings with very small subsets of your team where what you're communicating to them is appropriate and you're not giving, you know, a fire hose mentality and they forget the piece that's applicable to them because you've shot everything out at them in one time. Uh, you need to make sure, you know, the plan, some of the goals of the plan are obviously going to be re reduce the amount of downtime and damage to your system and to your organization. And damage can be not just physical damage, but think of it as branding damage. Think of it as 
your place in the community. You've damaged your reputation, for instance. Um, so you want to get recovered, make sure the communication plan is, is covers those aspects as well. But you want to minimize that downtime and any sort of damage that may be that may have come out of the disaster event. Uh, one thing that is key, and I think we're seeing this pop up now with the the coronavirus, is with everybody working from home, that when you're recovering from an event, that you ensure that all of the security principles are in play. You've got to, got to, got to keep that in, um, very, very tightly locked down, particularly in this environment, because bad actors will take advantage of that. One of the things that we're seeing with the coronavirus are, are people, uh, you know, hackers and uh, ransomware that is geared toward people tracking tracking this stuff and using it as an infiltration uh, technique. So you need to make sure that your security principles are very stringent and you keep that regardless of where people are, are working from or regardless of the type of event that you're going. You do not want to lax your security principles because that will put your business at risk from way other uh, perspectives. And of course, depending on what other business you're in, you may have some regulatory concerns that you need to address as you're building out your business resiliency plan. So if you're in a regulated environment, there are probably going to be certain things that you're going to prioritize, but they may prioritize for you if there's some regulatory concerns. And once you develop a very detailed enough plan uh, for a particular risk, like I said, you may have five uh, risk mitigation plans, one for each thing that you identified with the likelihood. You need to do exercises with the team. Maybe this is once a year, maybe this is twice a year. It doesn't have to be frequent unless you're dealing with something that's all the time um, or regulate, or you're being regulated to do it. But you need to do tabletop exercises because as we clearly said, senior management is, is ultimately responsible, but they're going to give jobs out to people in for mitigation strategy. And the staff need to know their roles when the time comes. You don't want it to be the first time that they've seen a recovery plan when the actual event happens. You know, there needs to be some practice to it. And the document is a living document. So think about uh, as your business grows, you get more clients, you may add additional business lines the types of risks that you may have planned for a year ago may not be exactly applicable or it may have expanded and you need to account for that. So this isn't a, you do it once, throw it in the drawer, nobody looks at it for five years, and I guess unless you, you just have remained static, but I don't know anybody that has been that way. People have shifted lines of business, which will shift the risk around into different areas. And you need to account for that and review these documents. So just as a real quick summary, management is ultimately responsible. Keep calm, keep cool, be proactive so you're not wasting everyone's energy and getting everybody spun up. You want to have that plan. You want to have that, that we're, we're going to hit this. We're going to recover from this. We got this, you know, mentality. You know how the business will be potentially impacted you know how much negative impact it's going is going to be how much risk you have been willing to accept and start planning those mitigation techniques tools strategies resources kind of lined up 
based on the likelihood of whatever disaster event may occur. And, and be, be uh, ready to test it out periodically. Human life is first and make sure everybody kind of knows their roles and, and what happens. The more you can do with that, again, I can't say this enough. The amount of running around and kind of just ugh, pent up energy that people were just expending in just various directions with no, you know, it's kind of a fire, ready, fire, aim type of mentality, which just people were just going, I mean, with this was to me insane. It's like, whoa, the term I use is people need to and sometimes learn to sit on their hands. So in the event of a disaster, senior senior management, you go pull out your plan and you start disseminating it through the organization. Again, top-down approach versus everybody at one point was just, we're all just going to go and everybody's just going in their own direction. And I was seeing a lot of that going around with this. You want to eliminate that. At the bottom, working your way up, everybody needs to learn to sit on their hands and then let that information disseminate because you've got a plan. You've thought about that. And as you've went through this, the, the coronavirus here, I, I definitely document lessons learned, what has worked for you, what hasn't worked for you. Um, and that way, you, when you do experience the next thing, and there will be a next thing, hopefully not to this scale, but there will be a next thing. Hopefully it's something more minor. Maybe it's something that interrupts your business for a week um, or a day. I remember a, a Several several years ago, when I was doing a lot more, I was doing hands-on server work, and I was warning them that they had this server sitting in their office that was really old, and they did not have any backup plans, and it ran the office. This would die, and when this died, you are down because they were so locked into certain vendors that were not local that if this went down, they couldn't function, and it happened. And they were down for two weeks. They had to do all the stuff by paper. Everybody was running around. It was just insane. And then you're waiting for this for this vendor that was uh, all the way down in Florida to do their thing. And because it, there was just nothing put in place to mitigate that, even though we tried to do it. So I do encourage everyone to think about the risks to their business. This is... This is not as sexy. This isn't as sexy as doing the branding. Hey, we're going to come up with a flashy new Facebook ad campaign. Oh man, we just developed a you know a new uh, line of digital products to sell. It's it's not. But when you are getting to the point where you have grew, you're you're being very successful. It doesn't take as we have seen right now. It doesn't take much of an interruption. It's gone. So the more that you can think about how to minimize the risk to your business, the better off you'll be. You'll come out of this stronger. You'll have stronger relationships with your employees, your customers. The trust will be there. So if you got any questions, feel free to hit me up. Again, check out the uh, calculator if, you, if you're looking for a way to kind of uh, quantify how much something you know, may cost your business if you're going, hey, I've got 50 employees. I know they cost me about, a, you know, 50 bucks an hour and they're making this much revenue. And if we experience a business interruption of a week, this is how much it's going to cost me. Use that tool. That's what it's there for. And you don't even have to let me know. It's just there for you to use. Um, feel free to reach out any, any uh, questions that you may have. Please check out all of the other presenters. They have a lot of valuable information. Um, within their areas of expertise.
And until next time, thanks.